Welcome one and welcome all to another episode of Chill McCofey. I'm super excited for this episode. We have an NBA Twitter legend in the building. The fastest tweet in the West uh, goes by King Josiah. Uh, it's Josiah Johnson. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing good, man. It's finally, finally great to link up with you. Obviously, East Coast and West Coast uniting Twitter yeah. legends. It's great to be out here, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start off this podcast, I want to have the self-promotion part here so that people that if some people are not familiar with you to follow along on every platform and then follow along with this podcast as well. So where can you be found on the Internet? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, King Josiah 54. Those are my primary modes of communication. I have a TikTok, but it's trash and I'd rather not share it. Just, it just, I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm like, I'm old, I'm 38. So I'm trying to figure out, keep staying with these young kids, but they're just way too advanced. It's like that whole vine came through to, to TikTok and just, just amped it up like a thousand percent. So I always, I felt, I felt really lost on TikTok when I first got there as well. I didn't know what was cool or not. I was like, does this, can I, is there a place for me here? I finally found it, but it took like a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, now, I, I know if I jump in, that's the thing I tell everybody, if I jump in and do that, I'm going to go too hard on it. And I know I'm going to get addicted. So I'd rather, I, I'm a family man now. I got to just focus my attention on Twitter and IG. I'm still trying to build up that IG, but, uh, yeah, really just Twitter, obviously the bread and butter, kind of my, my favorite platform to just go out there and engage in it and put out content. So I, I just keep it really to Twitter. Yeah, that's real. Now, before all of this content creation stuff and this NBA Twitter stuff, you were actually a hooper. You were at UCLA. Now, when you were there, did you always have dreams of becoming a personality or entertainer or did you just kind of like stumble into that? So my dad played at UCLA, won a national championship there. We had a really successful acting career within all types of movies, blue chips, white man can't jump. So I kind of just grew up in that world. So I always, you know, knew I was going to be working in the entertainment industry at some point. And then once I got to UCLA and I started comparing my body to the bodies of guys like Dan Gazreach and, you know, Matt Barnes and other guys out there and just saw the way they played, I kind of realized that I had to figure it out, you know, once college was done. You know, maybe it could go do the overseas route you know, and scrape together a living for, for a few years. But, I, I, you know, I didn't want to be in countries where I didn't speak the language and be away from family. So I knew entertainment would be my destination. So as soon as I graduated, started working on the sports entertainment side and then kind of, you know, I always wanted to work on the entertainment side and finally kind of got, got over there just basically, you know, through hard work and kind of stuff I was doing. But definitely a product of the internet and a big, big, big YouTube and just social media guy in general and how that can elevate you and put you to stuff that you maybe had no idea or, or you know, you could, could accomplish. So what was your uh, your first move outside of UCLA? So first I started working at Fox Sports. Uh, with, oh. Honestly, we had a, a legendary crew over there. People like Sarah Spain was over there. Uh, Carissa Thompson, they kind of brought her through towards the end. I was only there probably like three or four months, but they brought her in to basically work. I was in like the highlight department, so we would cut highlights for every single game you could think of. But on, on, on the fifth floor of the Pico lot, I know all the old school Fox Sports legends will remember that, but it would just be a row of TVs and all of us being there logging our games, kind of doing our thing. And then we'd have to cut various highlights for the different regional networks. So sometimes you get college basketball, football, some hockey, some NASCAR, really just whatever. But it really kind of, you know, really sharpened me and taught me to really appreciate all types of sports. And then was also, you know, a couple months after that, got a job over NFL Network, kind of worked my way over there. was there for like 10 good years, started as a PA, left as a production supervisor, but worked on like oh, wow. 30, 30 different shows, drafts, Super Bowls, just all that stuff. But was was really blessed and fortunate to be around such tremendously talented people, Rich Eisen, Fran Charles, Dion, Michael Irvin, just, you know, Warren Sapp back in the day. You know, Sapp, Sapp's a, a unique individual, but he always rocked with me. So, you know, I, I got nothing but love for him, but just you know, just a crew of just great human beings that have all kind of gone on to do great stuff. And it's crazy seeing like my class and kind of the class that came in and now where they're at 10, 15 years later, they're running networks and they're, you know, decision makers and they're, you know, producing Sports Nation and, you know, doing all this types of great stuff, man. So it's just cool to see where we all started making, you know, 20, 30 grand a year to now actually being able to, 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 to support ourselves and make a living. There's something so cool about um, when you first come into the industry and when you first start working places and then you start, you say, you see all these people that are leaving and they go find other jobs elsewhere, but they're all, but you know that they're going to kill it. Like yeah. you're kind of sad to see them go, but you know that they're going to improve and they're going to just be the best people that they can be and seeing just all of that, like years and years down the line. I mean, I've only been in the industry for about like four or five years, but already I've seen like the, the ripples and the wavelengths. And it's really cool. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Like you build your network, obviously. And these are just people, you know, you start out as PAs or whatever, kind of just scraping to get by, but turning up, 
you know, wearing T-shirts to work, kind of just, you know, that whole thing. And then they start getting the button-ups and the collars. And now I'm over at ESPN (laughs) and I'm I'm at Fox and I'm over here and I'm over there. But always, you know, we all get back together. We just think about those good old times sneaking into – I remember, like, you know, uh, when the Super Bowl was in Tampa back in the day, I think Cardinals, Steelers, Super Bowl, sneaking in with a couple of people and just getting into the – the building and just kind of all the cool stuff that we would do just we were just trying to like come up at, at that point so i'm always happy to see people make it i've never been one of those types where somebody leaves a company to be salty i'm always like go get yours even if you know it's people i'm managing or whatever you get a better opportunity it's nothing but love and support and they they know i'll always be a resource for them to reach out to oh absolutely i like whenever someone has like a better offer i'm like dude you got to do you got to go <laughs> like, I got love for you, but uh, come on, come on now. Go get your bag. I'll see you again. You know, it's all good. I remember when I was at NFL Network. Actually, it's a funny story, but Adam Lefko was was the intern, and I basically like he's one of my interns. So I remember just even seeing him as a college student. He was at Syracuse, but just how advanced he was and how proactive, and just a lot of stuff you can't really teach. Just he always had ideas and wanted to do stuff and wanted to do stuff bigger than his position. And me and him just stayed in contact even beyond that and when he was doing his stuff in Louisville and wherever, but always like, yo, Lefka, you about to blow up, man. So just be ready for when that happens. Then he got on at BR and now obviously he's over doing stuff with BR and TNT. And it's like, it's just, for me, it's great to see those type of people, people that you really want to root for and that, that you're friends with and that you just know on a friend level, like no matter what happens, I'm just going to hit him as a friend, you know, and crack up about stuff or whatever it may be. Absolutely. So from there you go from there to legends of Chamberlain Heights. Correct. Yep. How did that come into being? That seems like really cool to like go from working as a PA, working in sports to having a show on Comedy Central. Yeah. How did that come into being? So I started a blog with a couple of my former teammates, uh, Quinn Hawking, Ike Williams called Jersey Chaser around that time. So I was basically doing double duty, kind of leading a double life. So I was working my regular square job at NFL Network during the day. And then I would come home at night and just post articles, put up content, really just try to be off kilter. We were all athletes. So we always felt like you know, the way that the game was skewed was always like athletes were the villains and you kind of had all these people that would, would trash them and kind of just, you know, it was just, you could just tell who was kind of controlling the game. It was a lot more like the, uh, you know, journalists or whatever were the kind of celebrities as opposed to the actual athletes. So we always would err on the side of the athletes, defending them and, and just having their back. But from there, we did a bunch of off-kilter funny stuff on YouTube, like parodies, remixes, voiceovers, all types of stuff. We didn't even know. We were doing writer's rooms back then and had no idea we were doing it. We were just in the living room throwing out jokes and then we would edit videos together and this was like super like 2009 2010-ish but a a bunch of those videos went viral we ended up getting the attention of a a couple guys that worked in the entertainment industry one of them was an animator on the simpsons one of them was a big time producer who had a company with tom werner at that point and uh, they reached they reached out sent us a cold email to the jersey chaser kind of like yo you dudes are funny we want to meet you want to talk about an animator project so just so happens we were living at in westwood at that time we were all kind of graduated from ucla but still not making that next move in life we had found this great house like right off of Wilshire you know near the high rises it was it was the worst house on the block but we had a pool we had like six seven dudes living in there and I think I lived in that thing probably for like seven eight years so after from from like my junior year of college to like five six years into my adult life but you know I mean we ended up it turned out these guys lived in Westwood too they were right down the street from us so we met at the W over in Westwood and they initially hit us they had an idea for LeBron James they want to do an animated series around that and we yeah. were kind of like, like, look, LeBron's the man, but he, he's so concerned and focused with his brand. We're not going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that we do, which was obviously, you know, you know, dark humor, but satirical and stuff like that. Kind of, you know, in the same way, like the South Park and, and Boondocks and stuff like that. So they were basically like, you got any other ideas? And I was like, well, sh-, you know, we sat on the end of the bench at UCLA. Maybe there's something with that. Like we used to joke around during games and never yeah. really kind of take stuff serious. And, you know, we'd be there two, three hours trying to, you know, kill time. No, you know, trying to make sure, you know, you don't get, you, you riding pine and not getting splinters in your cheeks and your legs are atrophying because you're sitting for so long and you get up and your feet are asleep. So we would just try and entertain each other and just do a bunch of stuff just to, to keep ourselves entertained. But their eyes lit up at that point and they're like, that's it. So we decided to age it down and make it high school just to make it a lot more relatable to kind of everybody who's been in that position. But we were fortunate to get two seasons on Comedy Central, man. It was probably one of the, the greatest experiences of my life being able to work with so many talented people and being able to do voiceover work and doing six, seven voices in the episode and just all the amazing stuff we got to do, go to Comic-Con and got went out to New York for upfronts and got to hang out with, uh, you know, Tim Robinson and, and that crew and Jason Sudeikis and just random people. Like, you know, we're just like, it was ultimately like a major blow up, but that thing took like eight years and people never realized that. We started that thing in like 2009, the show didn't premiere till 2016. So they just didn't realize how much of a grind it was, but it was oh, wow. great to see it all pay off. 
seven years of like workshopping. So we development in 2009, then we were supposed to pitch in like 2011, but some ended up happening. So we went, okay. you know, we were basically kind of always waiting and like hoping, but we, you know, you tell your friends like, oh, I'm working on an animated series and everybody's like, okay, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, you know, sure. <laughs> Okay, then it's like, oh man, we just saw the animated series of Comedy Central. Like, okay, cool, but if, you know, you you know, you, you sold it, but it's not going to get greenlit. Then we got greenlit in 2015, and it was just like, oh man, we you know, we finally did it, we made it. I remember that day talking to the network, and then, then them just telling us that they were riding with us and gave us a season. And then we ended up, they were so happy with the first season, they gave us a second season. I want to say faster than any show in Comedy Central history at that point. Like we we were working on season two, like ten months before season one aired. And uh, oh, wow. just to, you know, to be a, be a part of that. And like I said, learn that whole side and animation and just all the fun stuff we got to do, man, with the experience I wouldn't trade for a lifetime. Do you ever think you'll go back to it eventually or is that just like a in the past thing? No, I mean, look, I'm, we have other projects. I have other stuff that I'm developing, working on. And, and I'm, I make this point, like I'm ready to go. We've been pitching projects and the thing okay. is, it, it ain't us. It ain't the lack of projects. It's anybody on the entertainment side will tell you it's just finding people that that believe. And that's really one of the reasons I went so hard on social because I just got tired of having to play that game and having people doubt me and not think I was capable of doing the things I was, I said I could do. But now those same people see the way I've been able to build this following and the content I put out. And now all of a sudden they realize that, Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you are funny and maybe you can do, you know, do, do major stuff. So, you know, it's led to a lot of great things, but that was the primary cause for me becoming the force on Twitter that I am because it was just too much hate on that, on that other side. And now your Twitter account is like damn near also like your cover letter. And so yeah. like, this, this is what I can do. This is what I do on the daily. I have, I get all of this engagement. I get all of these retweets or whatnot. I can make people feel like a certain, like I make people laugh. I can make people aware of certain events. Like that's the a power of a big Twitter account. And that's the thing. And when those type, you know, like anytime I get like a pitch or whatever rejected on the Hollywood side, I really just take it out on Twitter. And it's like, I'm just going to go run these numbers up, keep growing this account, keep growing this following. That's the thing I really preach to the young kids in the next generation as well, too. Like, I mean, so many young black and brown people are like, man, I want to learn how to work in social and woo, woo, woo. And I'll just look at them. I'll be like, look, bro, you got like five, 10,000 followers already. You're already working social. Now it's just a matter of, of believing in yourself and selling yourself to a brand. And, and I, I kind of tell them this thing, like when you go on an interview with the company, you know, go on LinkedIn and look up all the other people in your position that work at that company, then go look at their social following, add that up compared to yours. And, you know, if you're, if you're blowing them out of the water, then you need to use that as a resource. Like you can already do it. And that's why I really respect somebody like yourself. Like you can do it for your company. You can do it for yourself. You can do it, you know, and that's what you have to be. You have to be on all the time in this game now, man, you can't really take no breaks. And back in the day when these social media, you know, first kind of hit, people built up their following based on what they had done on TV or kind of their name. But nowadays if you're trying to become talent or whatever in this game and you don't have a robust and strong social following networks really ain't rocking with you like that. So what advice would you have for people that want to get their start on being like social media influencers? Really just respect the grind, get it out the mud. You know, I think we both know people that work at, you know, it's no disrespect to these places, but they work at these brands that have millions and millions of followers, but they didn't really, earn those followings. They kind of came on at some point along the way when that thing was already built, but it's a lot different when you got to get it out the mud, start from zero, you know, deal with all the, 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 the positive stuff, viral tweets and all that good stuff. And then the negative tweets that don't go viral tweets, that get the, the tomatoes and the SpongeBob memes and the, you know, the mental health, the mental health is such a humongous part of it. That's the one thing I try to preach to these young kids is like, keep your mental health straight. Like don't get too caught up in that world or you're arguing with, with burner accounts or Abby's or these people who are miserable and just want to bring you down. Because frankly, you, you're not going to be able to, the bigger and bigger your account gets, that's never a competition you can win. And I, I love dudes like Bomani and Amin and guys like that who have no problem calling out their trolls and really, you know, that's one lane. But also, I try to avoid all that, just kind of stay positive and just really keep keep the energy positive because you never know who's looking at your social account. So when you're tweeting stuff that's negative or petty or whatever, you got people out there who may want to hire you that are like, well, I ain't going to mess with this dude because look at how he talks. Look, look at the things he says or look, he's going to call me out by name. That's why I always keep my stuff subliminal. People, the people who, who I'm talking about know who I'm talking about, but I'll never put myself in a situation to jeopardize any bags. Right. I think the thing is that when I worked for SB Nation social media account for about two years, it got exhausting. I'm, I, I, felt in, I felt a really high amount of burnout, right? Uh, working for a brand account because... I feel like a lot of people, when they tweet at a brand account, 
don't understand that somebody that probably has nothing to do with a certain brand is reading the tweet. Um, whenever someone tweets at the Lakers, like there's yeah. someone that has no power over whatever the Lakers decisions can be. Like they don't sub out players. They don't do anything with rotations or strategies and they have to read these tweets. I've had certain days where, you know, when I was, when I was social media during like, the main of the Kaepernick stuff, all of that. I graduated in 2017 and like that was like mid Kaepernick. So every Kaepernick article we got, there were there were so many racist replies and I'm just like having to sift through all of them. And I'm just like, when is my shift over? Like, because yeah. <laughs> you take you embody basically that account too. And it, even if even if it's an account and nobody knows you, Kofi were tweeting it, you still know that you're there and you're reading all these things and it starts to really impact your mental. Like, you know I mean? I've, I've done it on both sides, Yahoo Sports and other places where you put a tweet up and they don't know it, who's behind it and they just rip it to shreds. It's like, damn, like I have feelings, I got emotions. I know I know it's not, <laughs> my name's not on it per se, but I did, I thought it was a good idea. Like, <laughs> It's like, damn, I thought this would hit, but no. <laughs> and sometimes the other thing I think is... I always try to tell people that even if you work for a brand account, try to build your own personal account at the same time as well, because whatever happens, you're actually, you're like here for yourself as well. You know, especially how, with how volatile and fast this industry moves. I think that I kind of view a personal account and personal brand as like life rafts where it's like, yes, the ship may go down, but like, do you still have this platform to fall back on? Exactly. And that's one thing I learned. My wife actually hammered home to me because I was, you know, I didn't I wasn't a really big social media guy. But before the show came out, I kind of recognized and realized that if the show was going to be successful at any level, it needed to have a presence on social, needed to create a community. They needed to know that they could come and talk to somebody and they would respond to them and they wouldn't check. You know, I mean, whatever it may be, if we were going, you know, being petty or telling jokes or cracking jokes on each other, that there was somebody actually doing it. So I built up at the height of the Legends account up to like a hundred grand. And I didn't know anything about social at that point. So I was doing this thing. I got this app where I could basically search keywords and whoever like engaged with the account. But I was following and unfollowing like 10,000 people a day. And I know it had to be probably the most annoying thing for a lot of people because I would, to your point about running the account, <laughs> I would get just bombarded with them and stop following me. But I just kind of learned... I was like, look, man, I'm trying to get, I need to, I need to raise a number. I don't care about the appearance or whatever. I just need to get as many followers as possible. So when shows air, I can try and get some viewers and, and cipher some viewers over to the network side. But my, my wife would just be on me like, yo, you need to build your own account. You need to do this for yourself. Like this show may go away and, and we don't even have to show for it. And I finally started listening to her. And then you know, I'm thankful that I did because now I've been able to really elevate. And like you were saying, like, that's the thing that's going to get you the opportunity. I get more opportunities now on both sides, social and, and entertainment on account of my, my, my Twitter following. Like now I'm taking meetings with people and it's like, oh man, I'm a big fan and I love you. And you know, you woo, woo, woo. Like, how do you do all that? And then, you know, that's the stuff that's going to get you jobs and get you, you know, opportunities. It's like, yeah, you can, you can create engagement. I can be watching the same game as everybody else and, and put up a tweet that can go viral and just hit and do that consistently. So really for me, it's like, I look at these major brands and I know, and I know, you know, how these, the inner workings of them, they got five, six people working, you know, for like a, you know, a bigger time account, whatever the big game is, they got five, six people working, they're all on Slack, their graphics team and this team and that team and whatever. It's like literally one me on the couch, internet connection and a phone. And I'm like, I'm just going to go get it because I need to compete with them and I need to be able to put out content at the level that they're putting it out. I think, I think between you and I want to say Jasmine Watkins, I think you guys are two of the most prominent non-brand tweeters out there. And I think Jasmine has tweeted often that a lot of like brands will just like take her tweet and think that she won't notice. And those are the when she calls them out, it's the funniest thing because it's like you guys have all of this stuff. You guys have this entire team at your disposal, but you decide to like just jack another person's tweet. And it's just it's just so funny at that point. Um, I used to when I used to get recruited for other social media brands and stuff like that. They would always be like, well, a lot of these people have been working here for like 10 or so years. And sometimes we just need some new fresh ideas. We just need some new ideas because like, again, the hits are the hits. The hits will always work, but sometimes you just need to kind of like rebrand and refocus and 
change the attitude of an account. Most definitely. I mean, to your point, Jasmine is one of the, you know, when you look at like just the people that get it. And I think her frustration really stems from the fact that she's applying to a lot of these jobs and kind of getting big times and, oh, you know, you don't have this, that or whatever. And it's like, well, if I don't have this, that or whatever, how come literally two to three times a week you are coming to the well to literally run the, the, the content that you told me wasn't good enough to get a job there. And that's I yeah, think the frustration of a, a lot of black and brown people in this industry. When you see these social media teams and they post their group photos and here we're at this event, we're at that event. It's literally like seven, eight, nine, ten white people. And it's like, well, this sport you're covering is 70% black. Like, are you telling me that there wasn't one qualified black social media person within a 10 mile, 20, 30 mile radius that could have came and gave you some different perspective into the world and being able to connect with these players on, on a different level. And I feel like that's what we see a lot of like black Twitter will create a trend or create something. Yeah. And then it'll just get snatched, snatched and taken over to the other side. And it's like, we'll, we'll give those people credit, really understand that this is big business. Now this is like a billion dollar industry. So, you know, people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as these quote unquote social media, just, you know, moguls or whatever it may be. And it's like, for the most part, they're just literally gangster and stuff from, from other creatives and not giving the love. You know, it's, it's such a, such a disappointing and whack thing to see. And even in 2021 still like, come on, man, just there's enough room to give people opportunities to really go out there and get it. Yeah. And it's always interesting. And it's always obvious to see when a certain tweet hasn't been screened by a black person or a minority or anybody and it's like guys if you just had one person i'm telling you just one if you had one two like have we want we want a lot of diversity of course but even just one person like you had one person to be like look uh this is offensive uh look this isn't funny look that's not future (laughs) yeah that's not that's not future that's two chains uh this is uh uh, (laughs) you know it's it's like it's always funny to just i'm just like guys it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, that's the main concern of mine. The main point I try to make, like these companies have millions and millions of dollars. They have a lot of resources. It doesn't have to be this way. You have people that are literally the culture, you know, put them on board, teach them, teach them and make them great. It's not a hard thing to do. And there's so many, this article came out on Deadline recently, just talking about how the entertainment industry squanders like $10 billion, I want to say, in, in, in underfunding black projects or not buying black projects and how projects with black budgets you know, surpass those with, with, with a, a white projects with bigger budgets, you know, dollar for dollar. And it's like, we've seen all this stuff. We know it to be real. We've seen how much of an impact that black Twitter has on even, a, you know, black people in general on Twitter, on clubhouse, you know what I'm saying? On top shot now, like, you know, on, on crypto, like we, whatever, whatever we get into, <laughs> like we're going to, we're going to really turn it up and make it crack. And I think, you know, we need to be rewarded for that with more than, you know, everybody says, you know, they love, black culture but they don't love black people and i think we need to get both of that going on yeah top shot confuses me i'm just gonna say that right now i i do you do you understand top shot or Uh, i'm looking at all this nft stuff trying to learn it i see people out here selling tweets i know jack uh on twitter got a tweet going for like 2.5 million i'm like look i may not have a 2.5 million dollar tweet i know i got like a three hundred thousand dollar one or 200 But my thing with Top Shot, and I, you know, I, I don't want to knock it, but I'm just, I'm still trying to learn it like everybody else. But I feel like we're going to see a doc five to ten years from now, and it's going to be similar to that whole Nike reseller thing that just happened recently, where all the people who yeah. are at the top, that were all these multimillionaires that that got in early, mysteriously all had plugs and connects into it, and basically had that insider info to get it going. Which for me, it feels kind of like I don't want to say a Ponzi scheme or something like that, but you're essentially buying a product that really has no value and, and people are like oh well diamonds or whatever whatever it's like yeah but those are real intangible this is like yeah. a youtube clip of zion's <laughs> like you know a steal from zion that's like oh this is worth. i just don't understand like how do people like oh this is worth thirty thousand dollars like how is that still better than whoever like the coos steal or a caruso dunk or whatever it's just how do you know and it, it, but it, it's, it's interesting to see but again the hysteria the panic i see the same thing in the reseller market with shoes it's like oh, i gotta pay five grand for these shoes because you know, not everybody gets them. And it's like, you know, they have the resources to make as many of those shoes as they need, but you know, they want, they want to take advantage of you. Yeah. And that reminds me of, um, Twitter's uh, super follower thing that they're trying to roll out or something. What's going on with that? I, my thing about Twitter was that for years and years and years, that was one of the only social media brands that you couldn't monetize really. Honestly. I mean, you could have sponsored tweets. Sure. But like, I feel like with Instagram, you had more um, people weren't willing to advertise. 
Um, TikTok has a creator fund where I've made like $1, but like you do, it still has a creator fund, you know, YouTube and all these places, Twitch, you can like make a solid living on Twitch if, if you have the big enough of a following, but Twitter, if you had, if you have thousands of followers, there was no real way to kind of like monetize it unless you were like doing those like DM for promo kind of things yeah. over the years. So I don't know how this super follower thing is going to go. I feel like a lot of people are going to like think that their tweets are worth super follows and stuff, but then it's just going to be like <laughs> a weird awakening. Um, so I have people telling me like, oh, you, sh- you should do super follows. Or I would pay for it. It's like, I-, I don't really want to charge anybody if you want to tip me or whatever. But I do, I-, I think from as a result of this to your point, like you, you can't get direct bread off Twitter. But there's yeah. always auxiliary ways now. And, you know, I think the, the yeah. bigger end is, you know, I went to UCLA. So eventually I want to be able to teach a course on social media at UCLA if, if for nothing more than just the athletes and that crew. And really, you know, whoever, like this is how you need to approach it, attack it and understand that this is a humongous industry and business. And, and everybody's like, oh, Twitter followers ain't real. It's like, well, tell that to the brands that reach out to me because they think that they're very real and they're putting up real money to, to, to get promo and do all that and get engagement because they know any brand that I work with knows that I'm going to actually go hard and figure out how to make it look like, you know, I'm, I'm really promoting and sponsoring this stuff. It ain't just going to be a fill in the blank. I know you, you see those all the time on Instagram and they get like the draft picks or whatever, where it's like a Tissot watch uh, <laughs> promo or whatever. And it's like still the X's of the highlighted part that they're supposed to fill in with their info. And they just copy it and paste it and threw it in the tweet. But yeah. I'll never operate like that. I just, you know, I don't feel like that that's fair to whoever I'm working with and also to my, my users and my fans. But if, you know, I've been hitting up Twitter, like, yo, it's good. If you do do any of these things, I know Twitter Spaces just launched, but, uh, you know, they, they they took too long to, to put me on board with this. So I had to really like, no, nah, I'm not doing any. It feels like Clubhouse to me and all that other stuff. Like I've done a few Clubhouses. I'm just like, oh, I'm good, bro. Like, you know, I'll do a pod or whatever, but I'm not I'm not trying to make a bunch of other people some money off of off of my back, you know, in exchange for some some followers or some trinkets or whatever. Right. So on to the shows that are on Twitter and other social platforms. So you were formerly at Dunk Bait with Yahoo Sports with LeJethro and Zach Swartz. And you currently have your new show out of pocket for Buckets and Wave TV. Yep. So what is the aim that you want to have for this new show? Cause it's like virtual it's like a couple, like months old. Yeah, we've done probably like 17 episodes. We're trying to, you know, space it during the NBA season, you know, usually with big Lakers games. But I think just the crew at Wave and I've been over at Wave now for, you know, about, what, six, seven months now, but just super, super, super impressed with everything they got going on. They just, and what I was saying earlier, they're just like, everybody there is hungry. They love social. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't compare it to like the Wolf of Wall Street, but that's kind of what it feels like when they're in there, but they're doing everything legally and safe, but they love, you know, they do everything <laughs> the right way. UGC, they're reaching out to, you know, content holders to get their permission and, you know, everything that they do and attack and all the accounts that they run. So for me, when I met with them, it was like, this is a no brainer. And, uh, you know, Dunk Bay was a great experience. I love LeJethro, love Zach. You know, obviously, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, after the NBA season ended in the bubble, Yahoo furloughed me and basically, like, we'll let you know, you know, about if we're going to bring it back. And it's like, and I told them this, like, look, if you make me a free agent, that means I'm a free agent. Like, and, and you know, if you if you tell LeBron or whoever not to compare myself to those type of people, but you tell somebody like that that they're a free agent, you think he's going to wait around for the Lakers to make an offer for a couple of months? Like, no, like, I'm no, going to get a yeah, ton yeah, of deals yeah. thrown at me. Like, I'm in, I'm in the midst of just, like, a social glow up. Like, my numbers are running up. Like, the engagement's at an all-time high. Like, I'm in demand right now. But, you know, got nothing but love for the crew and the team over there. Wave. Just let us really rock out, man. So, we've been, obviously, just the pandemic, we're doing, like, StreamYard, like, like dumbed-down versions of the show, just doing live shows and getting guests in and kind of doing all that stuff. But the goal is to do a whole studio show once we can kind of get vaccinated and get back to some sense of normalcy and really... For me, it's just, you know, I look at, at the landscape nowadays and there's just not a lot of content from younger people. Like inside the NBA, obviously, is the gold standard for, for especially NBA content. But, you know, Charles Barkley, I want to say, is like 56 or 58. Like Kenny, Kenny Smith's the same age. Shaq's in his early 50s. Ernie's like 64. Like, you know, these dudes, you know, and they try and do the young, cool, fresh thing on, on Tuesdays with D-Wade and that whole crew. But there's not something consistently that's geared towards this younger market and younger demo and younger generation that, actually rocks with them like you know all all love for that crew but none of them are heavy in the nba twitter circle other than just being superstar basketball players so with our show we really want to give love to the people who are in the game who are really out there ten toes down grinding people like yourself you know i mean we have people like m on there rashad phillips like you know just 
just a great crew. Haley O'Shaughnessy came through, like just a crew of, you know, this, this next up and coming stars in the NBA Twitter world that now we can give them a voice and a platform and the recognition and give them their flowers now. Because, you know, I think the one thing I love about this NBA Twitter community and Twitter in general is like all the creators really rock with each other. We support each other. If I go on, you know, I'm going yeah. on people's pods, but if I go on a pod, I always try and buy a piece of merch or whatever that, that person's selling because I know how hard it is to, to get your name and get your brand out there in this world where everybody's kind of, you know, trying to trying to scrap together for, for these views and these eyeballs and this money, but always just be super supportive. It's obviously a competition, but healthy and friendly. And whether it's Lakers Twitter or Warriors Twitter, or whatever it may be, it's like we may we may go at each other socially, but you know, Warriors World is one of my 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 in terms of social game, one of my best buds. And a dude I really just rock with. I, I respect Sheet and what he's been able to build over there. So we may we may go at each other if LeBron's playing the words, whatever it may be. But <laughs> at the end of the day, he knows I'm a cop some merch. I'm gonna show him love. I'm gonna retweet their tweet if it's you know appropriate. If it's some comedy, it might it might take a jab at LeBron. But if it's funny enough, I'll put it on the timeline. So you know, just I love the way that community comes together and we really rock with each other. Yeah, I always feel like I come off as like an angry young person whenever I tweet like yo give give young people a chance man we always we always our ideas aren't taken that seriously when we go to these internships we always uh like interns aren't really given that much to do at certain places like I've had a lot of people have what we talk about were internships and a lot of people have been like yeah they really didn't let me like do much I just like sat there and stole goldfish or whatever you know but like I think that a lot of these companies and brands will realize once they start like allowing young people to take the reins, even if they are an intern and having intern projects, that it will help their company long term, especially if you like invite them back to work part time or even full time. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm a big anti I'm, internships are fine if you're getting paid for it. I think at yeah, any yeah, point absolutely. work is, you know, it's different if you let somebody come shadow or come hang out for a little bit. But anytime they're showing up to work and they're performing a job. And that's the thing. It's kind of this dinosaur mentality that I think is really prevalent in the entertainment industry where, you know, we saw with Quibi and no disrespect to Jeffrey Katzenberg, who I got a tremendous amount of respect for, but he's 70 and he's trying to, you know, it's right. like, I know, I know what young kids want. It's like, you don't like I'm 38 and I barely know what young kids want. Like these are the ones, they're the future. They're the ones who are actually consuming your content. So why wouldn't you listen to the person that's actually, you know, I see the same thing on the social side. Like I'll see all these people that are, director of this or head of that, you know, whatever, president of social media. And then I'll go on their, their accounts like, bro, you got like 50 followers. Like, how do you, what do you know about social media? If you're not using it and engaging with it and you never put up a great tweet or you never put up a terrible tweet, or you never dealt with all the things that go on. And I feel like a lot of people just think, you know, there used to be like this condescending tone towards social from a yeah. lot of that side. And now they're starting to realize, well, oh, we can't just like promote tweets anymore because, you know, this tweet might get a million views if we promote it, but it's getting eight retweets. So you're telling me you put five, 10, 15 grand into shoving this thing down people's throat on Twitter and only seven people thought it was worthy enough to share in their timeline. Like that just doesn't fly anymore, especially people like ourselves. I can go do that organically. And that's the thing I'm really trying to harp on with these young kids and with brands is like, these are the people that are tastemakers. So if you get with them, they are actually traditional influencers, even if they don't realize it, they've already built up a strong following. They've got people that follow them that have huge networks. And kids control the code, not kids. I, mean, I don't want to disrespect them like that, but young adults control the, the culture. They're the ones who rock with stuff. Like we're trying to, you know, hit an 18 to 34 year old demo. So if you're not, and I, I saw the same thing when I did Legends of Chamberlain Heights and it really cracked me up. I'd be in these meetings and they'd be talking about, oh, we, we're trying to get to 18 to 34 year old African-Americans. And I'm like, I'm the only 18 to 34 year old African-American in this room right now. <laughs> There's like 40 yeah. people in here. What do you, what what do you could you possibly know about what what the demo you're looking for if you don't have the, that represented in this office space? So, you know, what I mean, that's I feel the same way about social. It's like, oh, we're trying to really you know plug into these communities. It's like, well, what how are you going to do that if you don't have the people that are actually in there doing it? You're trying to force feed them stuff. And the great thing about social is people will will engage with what they want to. It's not like TV where I've got to fill programming right on social. If the content's good, people will retweet. And I love social because. As soon as you tweet, you know pretty much within a minute if that tweet was good or bad. I, I yeah. can tell you within the, I'm watching the numbers go up. And it's like, oh, if it doesn't hit a certain benchmark, like, oh, this is trash. Like, ooh, I, I'm not going to delete it because I'll just eat that L, but this is not going this is not going to be a win. Yeah, you just move on to the next one. You're like, hey, GG, go next. It's always interesting because I think that people that work in social and people that work in media, whenever there's like a new social media startup or a new media endeavor, we can tell like in 20 seconds if it's going to actually be good or not yeah you know i mean I, I i don't ever point fingers or call out names but 
Right. I just you just see the way that they they're entry point or whatever. Like I got I got a good buddy CJ Taladano who just launched. He was at Bleach Report, but launched his company Follow Through. And his first video, I remember me and CJ talking, and he's a you know genius on that the comedy sketch side. But he he got dog faced the guy who drinks the cranberry juice. He basically for the Lakers winning the championship, he got him to wear a Lakers jersey and you know drink. I think it was like some butter chardonnay, which ended up like he, he paid him to get some champagne. He got some butter chardonnay. But talking to CJ is another guy who lives and breathes social, and we're talking, and it's like a week before, and I'm just like, yo, this thing is going to do millions and millions of views, and he's just sitting on this gold mine. But a lot of brands don't operate like that. They kind of go with the traditional model. We'll do a 30, 60 second promo and the promo is not that good. And it's like, these aren't things that really get people engaged. And again, like, like if you put this tweet up, you're going to know pretty, pretty, pretty early on if it's a hit or not. And that's why I think that House of Highlights kind of just changed the way that sports brands worked. I honestly think that, I mean, starting with like Omar just showing highlights on Instagram and then they turned it into such a big thing that like changed the like whole attitude of sports social media. Like you've seen a shift in how other brands operate because now the other brands want to make a house of highlights or other brands want to like act and be like all cool and hip and all of that. And I think that that, because before it was always just like, oh, here's the highlight, cool. But now it's like, dude, where's the excitement? Where's the attitude? Where's the emotion? You you gotta, you gotta add an emoji at least, man. Like Jesus. Um, But yeah, I think that this, those kind of trailblazers and again, allowing new ideas, new concepts to cook is just like so much better for the entire sports media realm. Um, If you look at the concept of House of Highlights, Omar, I believe, was in college at the time, right? Just posting highlights. But I mean, obviously, funny captures memes, but that's all people wanted. I think everybody was trying to put all these bells and whistles and do all this extra stuff. Like, no, I just want to some uh, LeBron just dunked on somebody. I just want to see the highlight. Like I'm not right. watching the game. I don't have league pass, whatever it may be. So something so simple, but you know, Bleach Report at that time, I want to say it was probably like a couple hundred million dollar valuation had all these big wig execs, whatever. And literally this 20 something year old kid to your point earlier, like got the account. And now that account is bigger than Bleacher Report's account. You know what I mean? Like yeah. on IG, like that account became the gold standard of this brand. Like it should have been Bleach Report that, you know, and everything else was a derivative of that. That account ended up fucking getting more view more viewership than the actual thing that bought it. And I think it showed a lot of people, like when you just let people rock out, give them the resources, give them the budget. And now I've seen Omar doing this thing over at ESPN, but dude, I really like look up to those people because, you know, Omar just a cool dude. You meet him like, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that he literally changed the whole sports social media landscape. He's just a cool dude, always shows love, you know what I mean? But just a guy that's genuinely happy to be in the world. And there's so many people like that. And I feel like, you know, that's the creativity that we need to harness to get to that next level, as opposed to kind of like I was saying before, these dinosaurs who are in the 40s, 50s, 60s, who are trying to everything's about numbers. And I never go to social to worry about numbers. I'll never post a tweet like, oh, I got to hit X amount of views on this tweet. I think that's yeah. an easy recipe for failure. And then you start chasing, you start chasing instead of just being a part of it, like, you know, engage when there's stuff to talk about, talk about it. When there's not stuff going on, don't worry about it. Cause you know, I always know, like I might have a slow day or two, but I'm going to get it back eventually. Like, you know, there's going to be an all-star game or a draft or a Super Bowl or whatever that. And when those things happen, like, oh, this is prime viewing. The weekend does some crazy stuff in that tunnel. I got to run these numbers up and get the jokes out and really just try and, you know. But those are like, I'm going to get 10, 12 million impressions that day. And then the other days I might not. But, you know, just always staying ready. And it's social media. Be social. Yeah. All right. We have uh, one fan question from Easy Tiger. Quick question for my dude, King Josiah. Does your back hurt from carrying NBA Twitter during this pandemic? I mean, I think it's so funny <laughs> to me because I've, I've been on both sides of it, man. Like, I've been, like, I was doing a lot of voiceover stuff because I, I had a show and I saw people like Michi and just kind of some of these other people. It's like, there's only, like, three or four voiceover dudes. I was like, this, that lane is super small. I can I can do stuff in real time. I was, so as I was recording the game, I could do multiple voices or do whatever. And then started to edit. Had some success with that. But, you know, a lot of like a lot of, you know, people just hating on me. I'm so thankful they didn't have the quote tweets back then because uh, you know, there would be days when it'd be like, you know, 70, 30, just like, you know, worst ever. I hate you. Like, you suck. Like, I hope you get cancer. Like, but those things build you and make you strong. So now, like, nothing can really phase me. But people are always like, man, you don't miss. You don't do this. You don't do that. Like, there was a lot of misses. I miss all the time now. It's just, you know, people give me the benefit of the doubt now. They don't roast me because I put up so much good stuff. But I think there's so many talented forces in NBA Twitter. I never like to, to be like, oh, I'm the king or I'm the best or I'm the whatever. So I'm just a part of it. 
I'm thankful. It's, it's wild to me to see how many people have kind of embraced it, but I'm not necessarily doing anything special. This is all stuff that people were doing before. I just figured out a, a different lane and a different way to transform memes and things like that into pieces of art that I really feel like, you know, people really engage with and bond with and love. And, you know, now they, it's like, they'll see, a, I might take a serious scene from a movie and make a joke out of it. And now yeah. that, you know, I mean, stuff that I should have no business making into a meme, but people will lose it. Cause if you've seen that and you know, the way I flipped it, it's like, you know, <laughs> this dude is crazy. Like, and I, I really embrace and enjoy that. Do you have a, do you have a meme Rolodex or is it just I, bookmarks or? Just... I have, I'll DM myself. Like if I see a funny video or I see anything that, 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 that I want to use, I'll DM myself usually, but I'm so unorganized and chaotic. Like my, my main thing is like, if I want to use a video, I'll remember another tweet that I use with that video so I can search keywords basically. And that's yeah. kind of like, I have no problem telling people, but that's like, how are you so fast? It's like, oh, if I want to use this video or that video, I remember I used it for a Steph tweet or for a LeBron tweet or for a KCP tweet. And now I'll just quickly grab that, you know, and, and put it back up in that moment so I can get it out. Because if I start scrolling through the bookmark and Rolodex, I'll get in my head and start thinking, well, should I use this one or should I use yeah. that one? Or should... So for me, it's just like a lot of times I'll just see it and be like, oh, I should use this one or whatever. Like, you know, I've been going to the 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 crunk ain't dead well i appreciate you for for really blessing the internet <laughs> that's what honestly i think in just seeing you know there's certain ones that just become like universal bangers that you know and i, I put several up there too but it's like everybody use these i don't you know just this is for for the internet to flourish i know how bad you want to you wanted to be able to take this clip and you know i love seeing every time i see that clip i think about you just because i know like you know you, you bless <laughs> the internet which is a piece of greatness. It works for politics. It works for music. It works for Cardi B. It works for whatever. Like, right. Yeah. It has, it's like the universal banger. Yeah, that's true. I have a, I, I think I'm one of the only people that prefers using Twitter on a computer more than Twitter on a phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Cause Twitter, cause using Twitter on a computer, I can go to Google, like search any image and then like copy and paste it like quickly. Yeah. Like I, I prefer that. I don't like, t but I, I prefer that, but I also don't use TweetDeck. I don't like TweetDeck. I think TweetDeck is a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, and I get like disoriented and lost. And that also goes back to my like brand account days and stuff like that. I don't yeah, really... I feel you. Believe me, I get it. I get it. I get yeah. it. I think, I think I, I use it on the phone, but just for me, cause I, I know so many people use it on the phone. And I have like, I just have little quirky stuff. Like when you do it on the computer, you can't map out how it's going to look on the phone or maybe there is a way to do it. Right, right. Because I hate when like, I try to keep everything one line or less, but I hate when you get, you know, it's like one line with, I call it a hanging twad, but it's like that one extra word that comes over and just mess up the aesthetic of the caption. Mm -hmm. Or it's like one one line with like a, a word spilled over. So in those events, I got to add a couple words, but it's funny with the phone, you also learn the hack. You learn sometimes that that line will spill over, but there's not enough characters to actually really do it. So when you tweet it, it'll still show up as a one line tweet, but just yeah. all like, this is just like all trial, trial and error stuff. But that's the main thing when I consult with companies, I work with brands and I'll just be like, Oh, don't tweet it like that. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to hang <laughs> over. It's not going to look right. Like I don't, for some reason, like it just like, I feel like people see that they're, they don't want to retweet it because in their mind, it's like, Oh, this looks sloppy. Like this doesn't look like a, a beautifully composed tweet. So I really like pride myself on doing that, even with the wordplay and stuff how, with the captions I make. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you ever have times where you want to wait? Did you ever have times where you wanted to give up? And if so, like what kept you going? Yeah. tons. Of, I mean, after Legend of the Chamber of Heights got canceled, I was super miserable. I guess the thing is what I learned with that show is just so much about the entertainment industry and how, you know, the game is the game in a, in a lot of ways. But show got canceled 2017. We kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like, I remember we were in a meeting and they're like, yeah, we're going to we're going to air you guys at uh, 1130 PM on Sunday. So first thing I do is like, all right, what are we going up against? It's like Mike Tyson's mysteries on adult swim, but it was like a three week, three week head to head with Mike Tyson's mysteries. Then after that, it was like Rick and Morty was premiering again. So I'm just looking like, well, I'm going to be watching Rick and Morty. So I already know we're done. Cause I, they're, they're like, Oh, well, you know, we want to compete with them. I'm just like, but I'm going to, I'm, I created this show. I'm going to be watching Rick and Morty at this time. Like, damn, that's not even a, like, that's not even a discussion. So you know what I mean? I just like, I knew at that moment, those are all right, the right is kind of on the wall, but I didn't work for a long time out of that. A lot of people like, you know, you, you hear the stories about Hollywood people not returning your calls and all that type of stuff. So that's when I really just really took it to social. And it's like, I know how talented I am, or I believe I'm how talented I am. I'm going to put up as much content as I can. I'm going to learn. And really if, for even the Legends account, I studied like 
10 to 15 different social accounts. I went to meme accounts. I went to just to see like, what was the stuff that people were engaging with? What was the stuff that, that was, that was high volume and high, you know, high engagement rate versus what was the stuff that wasn't performing as well. And I just kind of made a point, like, I'm going to stick to the stuff that I know is going to perform really well and really try to grow my account. But, you know, started that account at zero, seeing it, I think it's like 120 K or something right now, but Mm-hmm. Really saw every one of those followers come in, everyone come out, every nasty comment. And that's the thing I think people don't realize, especially on social. I see everything. I see every single comment, whatever somebody's saying, whatever. I don't engage with a lot of it, obviously, naturally, but I see it all. So I remember the other day, like somebody called me a fat ass and, and they probably don't even know this, but I woke up at like Friday. I forget what morning it was, but I saw in the morning. I was like, oh, OK. And then I proceeded to do like 12 to 15 million impressions that day just because I was mad. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to. call this person i'm just gonna try and put out the best content today possible Mm -hmm. really whenever i'm in those situations like let me just put out some heat today and that heat will make me feel better damn i have all of the filters on for twitter like on all of them every single one it's like if they if they're not because i go and read them individually i will like search my like twitter handle myself i don't want to see the entire like i want to go to my notifications column and then see everything i'd rather just like google search it or sorry or twitter search it myself so that's a little bit more of my speed now yeah because i mean again working for a brand account has kind of changed my uh view on just like reading everything i'm just like maybe maybe we don't have to do this all the time but i I like i like i like tormenting myself so i'm like let me read all this stuff (laughs) even because i mean it was it was it was like 2019 ish i was down bad and it was to the point where like i every time i put up a tweet it was like you know like damn are they gonna hate this or like this you know and just kind of like that depression and whatever yeah that you deal with but you just fight through that i think once you get through that phase and it takes a lot of mental toughness to be on social because you know when, when people are hating on you or, or being mean or nasty or whatever that wears on you like yeah you know I, like you remember the negative kind of, at least me i remember the negative comments a lot more than i still remember negative stuff from 2017 2018 more than like the oh you don't miss or whatever like those i mean i think you just accept and like thank you guys but whatever but it's like no nah, this person called me fat or this person said i was this or this person you know what i mean keeps like trying to poke at me with like mean just mean like you know we're talking about nba twitter you're making it personal it's like that's one thing i'll never i'll never go at somebody unless they go at me but i try to even avoid that because i know how much stuff people are dealing with it's like let's keep this thing positive i know how many people are coming to my account so like i don't want somebody who i really want to work with and respect coming in and seeing me you know go at somebody else and think like damn that could be me if we if i get on the wrong side of this dude so i'm just like I, i just keep it all peaceful and positive i'll never you know there's like this whole council culture Sometimes people need to get called out. Again, if you, if you think your mic's off and, you know, you start slipping in bombs out and whatever, like, yeah, you're going to get slandered. Or if you're playing Twitch and you think, uh, you know, whatever, you're on the stream and you drop a K word or whatever, like that's necessary slander for, for also teaching and correcting and getting people to understand what this world is. But I try to make a point of never like just jumping on and piling on and, you know, trying to rip people to shreds because I've been on that side. So, you know, I yeah. understand that I understand what it means. All right. The last question here is what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And what advice would you give to people that want to be where you are at? I think uh, best advice I've ever gotten. I mean, honestly, just to, you know, I think, you know, for me, for on the entertainment side, I guess, which I heard from numerous people was like, look, you're going to get screwed on your first deal. That's just the way it is. But, you know, just, just, just stay focused, keep grinding, keep working hard. So I think for a lot of people, no matter what the first job you get, you're not going to get paid much. They're going to take advantage of you, but always be trying to work higher to a different position. Don't come in. And that's what I tell my PAs and people I work with, like, don't come in and say, I'm a PA, like you're a producer, right? You may have not gotten that, that official validation and title from the company, but you're doing producing work. This is not, you're not getting coffee or what I mean, you know, even if you're doing that, be the best coffee getter, whatever. But while you're there, like learn, start looking at stuff, start asking questions, start asking if you can do a little bit more. And if somebody says no, go to somebody else who will let you do it. And the, the advice I give to, to, to people nowadays, man, just know your voice, know your worth, know, know what you bring to the table and don't take less than that. I think there's a lot of people in socials become a, you know, it looks a certain type of way, right? It's become like a lot of different industries and fields and things in American society, but people have talent and, and I'm a big fan and I really love the people out there that, that, you know, can do it in a vacuum. They don't need to be walking to work. Like when you work and I've worked on the social side, you worked on the social side, you have mandates when you come into work, you can't, you know, you can't have a, Oh, I didn't tweet anything today. I got to try and find something or scrape something together or try to make something or whatever. Yeah. But I just, you know, and it's, it's, it's a hard way to live because you're constantly chasing those numbers. But if you just come out 
organic, be a good person, really run your numbers up, but do it in the right way. Really be supportive. Don't try and, you know, a lot of people will reach out just to be users, right? They just want to use you for something. It's like, don't be a user, be somebody who mutually benefits and be a networker. There's different, different networking as opposed to, oh, can you read my script for me? Can you do this? Or can you do that for me? It's like, that's not, that's a quick, easy way to never become successful. The way you do it is by developing, you know, relationship people where they know they can reach out to you for something too, or whatever. Like I got friends with still that, that work on the producer side. And just to be candid, I charge a lot of money for the things I do. But if my people come out yeah. to me like, yo, I'm trying to do this, that, or whatever, I'll gladly do it for free. Cause I know how many times I've needed them to do stuff for me and they've done it for free. So it's like, you know, there's the big thing. Don't, I don't do stuff for free for corporations, but for family, for friends, for people I really rock with and want to see succeed. No problem doing that because I know when it flips, they'll do that for me. So I'm in a position now where I can help out a lot of people and nothing makes me happier than when I help somebody out and they were at a lower level and they're like, yeah, man, I got promoted and I'm doing this, that or whatever now, or I'm, I'm, you know, I've got this cracking now, or, you know, you told me to start a pod and I got my pod and now I'm finally doing whatever. And just to see people flourish and succeed. Cause there's so much money and room at the top that we don't need to be in competition with each other. We all just need to help each other be great. And that's why, you know, I don't, I don't work at Yahoo anymore, but anytime LeJethro does something, I rock with LeJethro. I'm, I'm a big time fan of his. So whatever he puts out, I support it. It's no, you know, no bad blood, no hard feelings, none of that, man. I want to see him run his numbers up because I know how hard he grinds and how intelligent, how smart he is. People like yourself, like, you know what I mean? People we've never, we've communicated via social and whatever, but, yeah. you know, somebody like Jasmine, me and her just connected recently. And like, I just have respect for these people and I know how hard that grind is. So however we can all work together, link up. And I think this is funny. It's becoming like the matrix, like social is the future. Like, you know, I think Elon Musk, whatever he had the, the quote about memes and, you know, he who controls the memes controls the future. Like, we control the meme, so we control the future. And I want everybody to get the bag that they deserve. Word, word. Thank you so much for coming on. This is a great episode. I appreciate you taking the time out of your, your day to uh, bless us with 55 minutes of All greatness. Yeah. I'm glad we finally linked up, man. I, I've been a big fan of yours for, for a long, long time. And just, you know, I, I respect the way you move and just your whole approach and you know, social is such a world now. It's like a science. And like, we're all like, you know, we're getting our PhDs in this kind of uncharted waters and kind of all learning stuff on the fly, man. So it's great to see people like yourself flourishing and all the other people out there, man. Everybody just keep grinding and, you know, we'll see, we'll see y'all soon. Yeah. Likewise. Appreciate you. For sure. For those of you that are new to the podcast, feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple. We are also found why did i say we it's a one-man operation uh we can be found on spotify tune in stitcher wherever podcasts are found i never know what to say at this end part but i will see you guys later this has been chilla with kofi and bye bye